Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Derwin Gray, and we're going to talk with him about his brand new book, How to Heal Our Racial divide. However, before we get into that, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to let you know about a couple of things uh, here on the podcast. And the first thing is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And uh, today we're going to engage in one of those uh, sometimes difficult conversations, depending on uh, who you're talking with. And the second thing is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them 100%, that we can still disagree with somebody and learn from them. And the last thing is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything. So whether or not you've been listening for a long time or this is your first episode, I'm glad that you're here with us today. And if you have something that you would love us to cover on the podcast, something that you're interested in learning about, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to hear from me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Reach out to me and let me know what you're learning about, people that you would love uh, to see on the podcast, or topics that you're interested in uh, having us explore on the podcast as well. Now, as I mentioned earlier, today I'm talking with uh, Derwin Gray, and we're talking about his brand new book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Now, if you've been listening uh, for a little bit, you've probably noticed that this is a topic that we've covered uh, several times here, you know, not just on the podcast, but specifically in the last couple of months. And uh, one of the things that I really appreciate uh, from all of the different authors who have written around this, and I'll link to all of those uh, different uh, episodes as well, from George Yancey to Christina Edmondson and Chad Brennan, um, and then uh, also Albert Tate as well, just to name a few, and we'll link to all those episodes in the show notes, but they're all approaching the conversation from a little bit of a different angle, which is what I appreciate because it's it's through those um, through those different angles that it allows us to en- enhance and enrich uh, our perspective and what we can learn as well. And one of the things that I absolutely love uh, that Derwin does, and not that, uh, you know, the other authors don't do this, but Derwin just does it uh, in a little bit of a different way, is he takes such a uh, um, a very in-depth view into scripture for how this plays out and what we can look to as well and what we can learn from that also. And so that's why I'm so excited to be bringing this conversation to you today. Now, before we jump into the conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Derwin. So Derwin is the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational mission-shaped church located in the metro region of Charlotte, North Carolina. He is the he is a popular conference speaker and the author of several best-selling uh, books, including uh, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, The Good Life, uh, the, the, the Good Life, uh, and God, Do You Hear Me? And in fact, Derwin's been on the podcast before, and we'll link uh, to that episode whenever we were talking with him. Uh, we talked with him about a, uh, a lot of things, so we'll just link to that episode. And that. So he's also earned a Master of Divinity with a concentra- or concentration in apologetics from South Southern Evangelical Seminary under the mentorship of Dr. Norman Geisler, and he has also earned a Doctor of Ministry in the New Testament at uh, Northern Seminary as well. Him 
and his wife Vicky met at uh, BYU, Brigham Young University, and they are married and live in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Derwin Gray. Well, Derwin, it's good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be with you. Yeah. And uh, just as we're getting started, you know, we're going to talk a lot about uh, your brand new book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide. And um, your first chapter is titled, Why Do You Talk So Much About Race? And so I figured that would be a good place to just begin our conversation. (laughs) Yeah, man. Well, let me let me give you a little context. Right. So I didn't grow up in the church. I actually came to faith uh, at an age 26 through a teammate in the NFL. His name was Steve Grant. And his nickname was the Naked Preacher. And so every day after practice for like for five years, he would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist. And then he would ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? And so the veterans on the team said, hey, look, don't pay no attention to him. That's the Naked Preacher. So over a five-year period of watching his life, hearing him proclaim the gospel, August 2nd, 1997 is when I came to faith. And as a brand new Christian, I I just, I knew, man, I just couldn't believe how much I was loved by Christ. The forgiveness, being declared righteous by his blood, a temple of the spirit, a part of this new family. And in this family, man, was Black people, white people, Asian people, Latino people that that God loved like the whole world. And so I had no idea that talking about issues of racism and racial injustice was taboo. I thought it was just like any other sin that Jesus has come to dismantle, obliterate, and destroy. And so as I've become a pastor, as I've learned more theology and have a doctorate in New Testament, I can't interpret the scriptures properly without understanding the historical ethnic tensions in the text. And so now from time to time, and typically it will be uh, uh, white siblings who are new to our church, but are Christians. And they'll say, well, why do you talk about race so much? And when those are good conversations, we have great conversations, but sometimes people are saying it as in like, shut up. Why are you talking about it? Those types of things. And I'll respond a little bit differently. I'll respond with like, okay, you're right. I'm not going to talk about race. So uh, the children of Israel are no longer the children of Israel. They were no longer slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They had to, they never had to fight the Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Prezibites. They never had to deal with the Babylonians and they were not under Roman occupation. And by the way, Jesus was not Jewish and there's no every nation, tribe and tongue that exists in a new heavens, new earth. So therefore, yeah, I'm going to stop talking about ethnicity or race. The moment that you stop talking about it and making the connection through the scriptures, you no longer have scripture. There's a reason why the Bible is descriptive, that the Bible is not colorless. The Bible's color blessed. They were real people with real ethnicities. There's a reason why Peter makes a big deal out of going into Cornelius's house, the Roman Italian centurion. Peter goes into his house and in Acts chapter 10, 
he basically says, you know, it's unlawful for Jews to enter the house of a Gentile, but now I see that God shows no favoritism, that all those who call upon the Lord will be saved. Salvation, salvation, Caleb, is not just for individuals. It's individuals to be placed in this multi-ethnic family that God actually promised Abraham. So I talk about it because the scriptures talk about it. Here's the question I want to ask, though. Why is something so clearly taught in scripture so clearly minimized in the expression of the church? That's good. What are your thoughts on that? Like why, why that minimaliz minimalization? Um, I think number one, uh, dark demonic powers and hordes of evil want to keep the body of Christ divided. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, to stand strong in the Lord, to put on the full armor of God, that the dark powers love to divide. That's number one. Number two, America and the rest of the world, but since we're Americans, America has a culture of racialization um, that has affected us from the beginning, from enslavement to Native Americans to, oh gosh, Jim Crow, segregation, the list goes on and on and on. And sadly, um, my white siblings in Christ of the past sat on the sidelines of civil rights movement. People forget that it's Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the civil rights those who participated, these young people, would have to read the Sermon on the Mount daily to act in a nonviolent way towards the racism that they would experience. So I think, number two, it's we've allowed a racialized culture. Number three, um, there's people who are prejudiced and racist. Number four, we've allowed political pol uh, polarization to divide us. And then number five, we have turned the gospel into an individualistic thing. So it's kind of like me, Jesus, and my Bible, my personal relationship with, with Christ. Yes, Jesus wants a relationship with us. It's called the new covenant. But we're not only in covenant with the Father, Son, and Spirit, we're in covenant with our brothers and sisters as well. Notice even with the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And even in the New Testament, when Paul talks about you, He's using you in the second person plural, uh, pronoun as a plural. So the Bible is about community and a collective that it's not just a bunch of rogue individuals. That's why we're called the bride of Christ. We're called the body of Christ. You know what term describes Christians the most in the New Testament? It's not Christian. It's brother and sister. So if we're brothers and sisters, that we have the same blood, even though we have different colors and cultures, then that family connection calls us to love each other as Christ loved us. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I want to go back to something that you made me think of as, as you were talking about um, the scripture and the, the racial context that can be seen uh, through it. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on what's a story that for you personally, like seeing it through that lens adds yeah. even deeper meaning uh, to you. Oh gosh, yeah. So in the midst of working on my doctoral thesis, which was entitled Local Multi-Ethnic Churches Are God's Sign That He Fulfilled a Covenant with Abraham. Uh, Caleb, when I learned that the miracle feedings 
Jesus fed 5,000 people on one side of the Sea of Galilee and 4,000 people on the other side of it. Well, one side was Jewish and one side was Gentile. And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, that's a precursor to the banquet of Abraham where Jews and Gentiles will come together. And then not only that, when you think about the story of the Good Samaritan, it's in the context of love God, love your neighbors, you love yourself. When Jesus came to earth in his humanity, Jews and Samaritans were in a 700 year ethnic feud. Yet Jesus tells a story of this is what love really looks like. It looks like someone who should be the enemy ethnically, touching the wounds of their quote unquote enemy, putting them on their horse, paying for them to stay at an inn. That's how, if there was one text I could preach to show that ethnic or racial reconciliation is intrinsic to the gospel, I would simply preach the sermon, uh, 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 simply preach the good Samaritan. And then lastly, and there's many more, but lastly, the woman at the well. Once, once again, Jesus uses a Samaritan. And when you think about the woman at the well, a Samaritan is what? A Jew and a Gentile in one body. What's the church supposed to be? Jews and Gentiles in one body. What is the church described? The bride of Christ. What was she? She was a female. And what did she do? She went and told people about the Messiah. In the Samaritan woman, we see ethnic reconciliation and we see mission. She's a living portrait of what the Jewish Messiah came to create, a multi-ethnic Jew-Gentile family that's on mission with him. Yeah, it, it's it's ironic to me that you bring up the Good Samaritan. I was just given a message on the Good Samaritan, you know, recently, and you hit it so right. Um, I felt like I was pretty familiar with, with the story, and then you do the history, and it's like, oh, shoot, this is so much deeper than, than I realized. Yeah, and, and the thing that I'm that I'm trying to do in my new book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, is I want to reintroduce people to Jesus. Uh, I want us to see how big and how beautiful he actually is. And secondly, I want to expand the horizons of our capacity to see that the good news, that this gospel is more than a trip to heaven when you die. Yes, the gospel forgives, the gospel renews, the gospel justifies, but the gospel is God fulfills his promise with Abraham through the sinless life of Christ, through the atoning sacrificial substitutionary death of Christ and his resurrection, that the gospel is more than just little old me. The gospel puts me in a family and then I care about not just me, but the whole we. I care about white people, black people, Asian people, Latino people. Why? Because one, they're image bearers. And number two, they're my siblings. I am my brother and sister's keeper. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says, if one member of the body hurts, then we all hurt. So I'm trying to, number three, deepen our discipleship. When you read this book, you won't read the scripture the same. Jesus will be bigger. His gospel will be better. And the horizons of your heart to love people will grow. Yeah, tease out that that bigger and better that Jesus offers us in this conversation.
Yeah, you, you know, I think, Caleb, one of the re reasons why we're seeing particularly Gen Z and younger millennials like, listen, I'm done, man. If if Christianity is I have to vote with a certain uh, uh, religious block, if Christianity is like Jesus died for me and then I got to try like really, really hard to not make him mad and hopefully I go to, to heaven and everything will be okay. It's no, no, no. Jesus is bigger. And this is what I mean. Jesus, when he comes, he comes to establish that God is Lord and King over the universe. Number two, he gives us an invitation to enter into his very life and presence. Like he's calling us to really be who we were meant to be through his forgiveness, through his grace, through his mercy. And then he's calling us to join him in establishing his kingdom on earth like it is in heaven. So many Christians are trying to get out of earth and get to heaven, and Jesus left heaven to get heaven to earth. And at the end of the Bible, we see this incredible picture in Revelation 21. It says, I seen a new heaven, a new earth, and the new heavens came down to earth, and God was with his people. God has always wanted to be with us. We're going to be in resurrected, glorified bodies here on earth. We're not going to be Casper to friendly ghosts. Everybody's not going to be white. No, we're going to have our ethnicities, our colors, and our cultures in a redeemed way. And so this gospel prepares us for the future by allowing us to be present in the present, reflecting Christ. I'm calling people to a deeper, richer, older faith. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of that, one of the things that really stood out to me as I was going through the book, talk, talking about um, the, the history of our faith is you tie it back all the way to Abraham's original, like what God originally promised and commanded Abraham. Can you talk about that and how that ties together too? Yeah. Yeah. So let me put it to you like this. Um, if there's no Abraham, there's no Jesus. So in Genesis 11, God's creation goes awry. Uh, they're building these temples so that the gods can come down. I personally believe that those were demons, right? In Genesis 12, God's like, okay, I've scattered you guys, but I'm going to call a man by the name of Abram. He changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to give you this big old family made up of all the ethnos of the world, all the gonim. So he's promised Abraham a family. God is a father who wants to adopt children. How does he do it? He sends his eternal son to be a covenant of blood to welcome us in. And so if we don't understand Abraham's covenant, we're not going to understand the gospel. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul says this, and I want those of you who are listening, write this down. Galatians 3.8. Galatians 3.8, because the apostle Paul says these words. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham in this, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. So Paul equates Jesus's life, death, and resurrection in this good news to Abraham. And Caleb, you would be surprised at how many times I've had pastors 
read Galatians 3.8, and they still don't make the connection that Jesus's life, death, and resurrection makes no sense at all without God's covenant with Abraham. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that that wasn't the case, though, for the early church. And I want to hear your thoughts on uh, on the early church, too. And you know, that's one of the things I really appreciate about, about the book that you do is you dive into how they handled this as well yeah. and, we, and what we can learn from them. And so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what are some of the things that the early church did well that maybe like today we, we may not be doing as well. Yeah. So the first thing I, I want people to understand this. Jewish people and Gentile people had tremendous ethnic and religious tension there were great feuds that were going on. For Jewish people, they had suffered deeply historically at the hands of non-Jews or Gentiles, Egyptian slavery, Canaanites, Hittites, Babylonians, and now the Romans. So there was bad blood there. Gentiles didn't particularly like Jews. As a matter of fact, many of the Greek philosophers would say, you know, to their pantheon of gods, thank you for not making me a barbarian, a woman, or a slave. A barbarian was anybody that was not Greek. And so all of these worldviews, just like today in our world, the devil has gotten in and causes us to divide and to hate. And so the early church dealt with Gentile people coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah, and there was a group called the Judaizers who said, no, you non-Jews, if you really want to be followers of the Jewish Messiah, you have to take on the ethnic badges of being a Jew, which is circumcision, kosher food, uh, traditional Sabbath, those things. So in Acts chapter 15, the first church council was a result of the church growing too fast with Gentiles. Man, that's the kind of argument I wanna have. Okay, everybody, our church is growing too fast, you know, but these Gentiles were coming to faith. And so basically James, the half-brother uh, half of Jesus stands up and he gives what's called basically, hey, Gentiles, don't participate in idolatry. You can stay an ethnic Gentile but don't participate in idolatry, okay? Then next, what the early church did, we see this in Galatians chapter two. The church at Antioch is going amazing. Jews and Gentiles are together. Enemies are friends. Foes are families. It's going phenomenal. The covenant of Abraham is being realized through the work of Christ. Even Peter's there. Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles. Then in uh, Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 13, it says, and the party of James came from Jerusalem and Peter got up from the table with the Gentiles because he was afraid of their criticism. Let me pause here. Fear is contagious. There are a lot of my white pastor friends that I dearly love, and they are afraid. You know why? Because when they preach on racial reconciliation in the gospel, when they talk about racism, white people leave their churches, money walks out the door, many of them lose their jobs. They are afraid. Fear is contagious, but so is courage. 
Peter's racism and fear caused even Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, even he got up from the table where the Gentiles were, and this new upstart named Paul, a Jewish man himself, stands up to Peter and says, you're walking out of step with the gospel. Family, racial reconciliation through the work of Christ is gospel. We need more believers to confront other believers with scripture and love and to call them to live out the gospel. So we see those types of things, but then what we see next is every one of Paul's letters, except for maybe first and second Thessalonians was written so that Jews and Gentiles through the redemptive work of Christ could be the family of God to the glory of God. You know, just as you were talking, it made me think of, um, you know, particularly that that instance where Paul had to confront Peter um, to where uh, they, like the early disciples had to deal with the same stuff that we that we have to deal with today, too, mm-hmm. and how it could be like, I just thought, man, it could be very easy for us to like almost romanticize uh, like the early like the early church and go, oh, man, they didn't deal with the stuff that we had to deal with, but they have to deal with a lot of the same it stuff. Was- it was it was actually worse. Um, the sexual perversion was worse. The ethnic tensions uh, were worse. Uh, no, I would not like to be a part of the early church. The letters that Paul wrote were rebukes. He wrote them because they were not living out the gospel. Hmm. You know, people like, oh, we should be like the early church. I'm like, have you read First Corinthians? Are you serious? Oh my gosh, I wouldn't want to pastor that church. Are you kidding? Man, they were wild. Uh, very, very, very much so. Um, no, I, I would be curious on uh, on your thoughts, I guess on, um, um, hmm, I lost my train of thought, but I guess I would be, I would want to hear your thoughts on something that you write a talk that you write in the book and you make uh, this statement, which really uh, challenged me and got me thinking. Uh, you say in the church, we have set the bar too low for having a racist attitude. Yes. Uh, and so I would be curious to hear your th- one. First of all, I would love to hear your thoughts just around that. And like, what, what can we raise the bar to, or what maybe should we consider raising the bar to? Yeah. So let me say this, raising the bar should be this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let me pause here. Most people have no idea, nor do they want to go to the depths of what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love your neighbor as you love love yourself is sacrificial, it's consistent, it's costly. It looks like the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what that means. Um, We've made the bar too low. And let me give you some examples. Um, I've been in conversation with people before. I had a a, a white br- br- brother in Christ, and he was making some comments about black people. And I, I said, "Well, how do you feel about your black brothers and sisters in Christ?" And he goes, "Well, I don't have any problem with them." And I said, "Oh yeah, Jesus did say love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and don't have any problem with them." No, when you follow Jesus, He doesn't give us that option. Like loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That's deep. 
That's beautiful. That's gospel. Um, I'll give you another example. There's a friend of mine and uh, we were in a conversation and he goes, you know, uh, I would never let my white son marry someone that's not a part of his race. I says, well, is there aliens on our planet now? Because there's only one race, the human race. But the human race has different ethnicities. So you're telling me that if a person is not ethnically what we consider white, you would not let, let your son marry him? No. I said, well, why? He goes, well, that's the way I was raised. And I was like, no, I met your mom and dad. They didn't raise you that way. So there's some form of white supremacy undergirding where you're coming from. So show me biblically why you would not allow your child to marry someone of another ethnicity that loves Jesus and they're walking close with him. That's a form of racism. So in other words, it's okay for me your, to, to be your brother in Christ, but not brother in law. Another aspect of racism is quoting meaningless stats that can be twisted, you know, um, you know, kind of like, well, you know, uh, police brutality doesn't happen. Listen, look at the stats. I'm like, if I could put you in a black man's costume in an at-risk environment for two weeks, you would change your tune. Why is it that Senator Tim Scott has been pulled over 20 something times in Washington, DC, and he's a Senator 20 something times, you know, and then let's don't, let's also get into even my own seminary experience, not at the doctoral level, but at the masters. When a white European scholar writes a theology book, it's theology. But if a black scholar writes a book, it's black theology. If a Latino scholar writes a book, it's Latino the theology. If an Asian writes a book, it's Asian the the theology. But if a white person writes it, it's theology. See, that's an example of a form of ethnic supremacy. And then there's other examples as well. But what I'm saying is, loving your neighbor as you love yourself means that someone else's problems becomes mine. And we as Black people should not have to give a 20-point case for why we believe that racism still exists. Like, why is it so hard just to go, man, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. How can I walk alongside of you? Yeah. And I and that hints at uh, something that, uh, like, and you spend a whole chapter talking about this. You talk about the hole in our discipleship and you, yes. do, you, you talk about um, individualism, which is, which is what you're talking about there. Individualism is, well, my problems are my own problems. I don't have to worry about anybody else's problems. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing that you talk about uh, is consumerism as well. And I would be curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, and those are, those are two things that play out everybody, like play out everywhere, but I would be curious to hear your thoughts on how does that play out as it pertains to um, racial unity and and that? So consumerism is the idea that my role is simply to take and not to give unless I can consume something as a result. And we've kind of done that to Jesus, right? And so when it comes to ethnic disunity, it's like, well, it's not happening to me and it doesn't add anything to my life. So I'm not gonna engage it. But here's something, Caleb, that I've noticed over the years. I have the honor and privilege to be the co-founder and lead elder pastor of Transformation Church. We are a beautifully gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-empowered, 
multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. God has done some beautiful, beautiful things. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that my white siblings in Christ will adopt black children, especially black little boys. And when they're little boys, they're cute and cuddly. But about 14, 15, 16, they go from cute to a threat. And a lot of white parents will say, Pastor, we had no idea that prejudice and racism was, was so bad. Like our biological white kids are treated much differently than our, than our adoptive black kids. We never knew it was this bad. And I just lovingly say, how could you have not known? We've been telling you for so long. Well, the reason why you didn't know is because it wasn't your problem to care to know. And loving your neighbors you love, love yourself means, no, I do care about your problem, even if your problem doesn't affect people like me. And all this is rooted in the gospel. Could you imagine in the council of eternity, the Father, Son, and Spirit saying, hey, our creation is going to rebel. Sin is going to destroy them. We need to save them. And Jesus goes, I ain't going. Listen, I'm holy. I'm transcendent. Uh, there's no, listen, I didn't sin. That's not my problem. No, what did he do? He came and humbled himself in the form of a man obedient to death. Why? Because love sacrifices to heal. And what I'm trying to move us towards as the body of Christ is to love like Jesus, to understand that ethnic unity is not some 20 first century hobby horse. No, this is intrinsic to the good news of King Jesus because our father in heaven made a promise to Abraham and he said, I'm gonna give you a family. And Jesus comes to say, dad, I got the job done. And so when we live in unity through the gospel, when we break down these demonic walls of prejudice and racism and systemic injustice and all the other stuff too, that's called love. And the world says you will know my disciples because they love one another. I think modern day Christians think that if you argue with each other on Facebook and you're mean and you're ugly, that's how the world will know you're my disciples. <laughs> uh, um, I, I would love to hear from your thoughts. You know, those are the two that you mentioned in the book for the holes in our discipleship are, you know, individualism and consumerism. Are there any other holes that you would say, yeah, we we might be like lacking whenever it comes to discipleship? Faith. Hmm, say more. Faith. Yeah. We, 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 uh, faith is trusting God. Faith is believing what God said is true and then acting on it, even though you don't see it. And so the Lord was very, very clear. Like even when we look at salvation by grace and faith in Ephesians 2, 8, we forget verses 10 through 21, where we're created for good works, the God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, according to verses 11 through 21, the good works is Jews and Gentiles become a new humanity, the new temple of God. That's the good work is unity. And we've just butchered that text to make it whatever we want it to say. And so um, I'm zealous for the glory of God. I'm zealous for his bride. 
And I want to see us be beautiful. I want to see us move beyond sentimentalistic discipleship to true, authentic discipleship that is costly. For you will know my disciples because they love one another. Um, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. We are so imprisoned to our racialized culture that we don't get set free by Christ. And in every chapter at the end, what I do is provide a prayer, things to think about, questions to answer, and then actual practices to practice. I've provided you with a how-to manual. I've provided you with the how-to, but it's going to require your faith to live out the how-to. Mm, yeah. Uh, one of those uh, practices that you write about is you talk about collective mourning. And mourning is something that we are not good at doing as a society. Um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on, one, why is that important that we do that? And how can we get better um, mourning, mourning collectively? Yeah. Okay. So Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 4. So let's always start with Jesus. That's like a really good place. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And Jesus is quoting Isaiah, I believe, uh, 61 verse 2. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. In American theology, we don't have much time for mourning. Mourning means to be sad about a situation. Mourning means to be sad about hurt. Mourning looks, means to be sad about pain. So an example of mourning in real time is this. With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we see over million, we see millions of people who are now displaced as refugees. And you see a lot of Americans mourning this atrocity. We are mourning so much so uh, that President Biden said 100,000 Ukrainian refugees are going to be welcome in the United States of America. I think that is a wonderful thing. I, I think that is a good thing. I think it should be more. But here's my question, though. Why aren't we mourning as much for the Syrian refugees who were bombed by Putin and Russia as well? And then why aren't we mourning from, for the refugees in Latin America who are asking for asylum from drug lords and corrupt governments? We seem to be mourning more for white Europeans than Middle Easterns and Latin Americans. So at our church, Transformation Church, we're partnering with churches in Poland to help with refugees, but we've also partnered with Syrian refugees and refugees at the southern border. All refugees are made in the image of God. And so when we mourn, we don't wanna have selective mourning. We wanna have comprehensive mourning for all of God's children. And so when I talk about mourning, being able to look at our nation and say, man, America is a great nation, but like every nation, there have been some horrible atrocities. So white, black, Asian, Latino, whatever you are, let's look back and go, man, that was awful. And let me say, say this. One of the things that I pastor white siblings through in this book is this. America is not your identity. Jesus is. America didn't die for it for you. A Jewish peasant carpenter who claimed to be the Messiah died for you. Secondly, America belongs to all of us. 
my great, great, great grandfather, Moses Davis, fought in a civil war for the Virginia Cavalry Colored Regiment against the Confederacy. He put his life on the line to fight for this American dream of, of, of liberty and justice for all. So this is my country as much as it is anybody else. And so when we critique things of the past, it's not because we don't love to be American, it's because we wanna see our union, we wanna see our nation reflect liberty and justice for all. And when it's not doing that, we should say something about that because people made in the image of God are hurting. But with white siblings, I wanna encourage you, Jesus is not wrapped in an American flag. He's wrapped in blood. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And so it's important for us to be able to mourn the past, to link arms in the present and say, how can we be salt and light? How can we bring the kingdom of God to earth together? And lastly, as Christians, we're not the political party of the elephant or the political party of the donkey. We're the political party of the lamb. The kingdom of God is vastly different than the kingdom of man. And yes, you should vote. I don't care if you vote Democrat or Republican. Not all Democrats agree with everything Democrats agree with. Not all Republicans agree with all what Republicans agree with. You can be a Christian in either party, but just know your political affiliation is not greater than your kingdom affiliation. Uh, I want to go back to the morning that you had mentioned. And one, one question that, you know, I just thought of is, you know, whenever it is something like, um, uh, like the situation that's happening in Ukraine, or it is a prolonged time of violence, um, how do you figure out like just the morning and that of something that is very prolonged and that, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's a, a, a part of our spiritual formation is learning to hurt when other people hurt and you pray and you do the next best thing is you try to love. Uh, I'm on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals. Uh, we're doing great work. Our church is doing great work. Your church is probably doing great work. If everybody just did a little bit, it would be a lot. Many hands make light work. And also understand is we're not yet in the new heavens and new earth. So therefore, we can expect a lot of mourning, but we can also understand this, that the day is dawning and the new true morning is coming and every morning is new mercies. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about something else that you mentioned in the book. You have this quote and you say, you know, history is never really history. It it has a way of informing our present. And so I would be, I would love to hear from you. What is something about history that you wish that more people knew about? Yeah. Um, I'll give you a, a low hanging fruit here, right? So on January 6, 2021, when the U S Capitol, the seat of democracy, the beacon of democracy for the world was overrun by a mob. Number one, I thought, man, if this was thousands of Black people with nooses, weapons, that place would have been nuked. The streets would have been rivers of blood. Number two, when I seen the Confederate flag in the U.S. Capitol, it just, it just, it broke my heart. Like, I really got sad for our nation. 
because an American flag next to a Confederate flag is an oxymoron. The Confederacy didn't want to be a part of this experiment. It was a four-year movement that said, we want to keep human beings who bear the image of God enslaved, and we don't want to be a part of this union, this American experiment. And I wish people would really take time to look historically at what that means and what that symbol stands for. Uh, I've been to Germany and you don't see any swastikas at all. The Nazis and the Holocaust, 6 million Jews. Well, when you think about the transatlantic slave trade, the millions and millions of black people made in the image of God that were raped and killed and tortured and the list goes on and on. It, it, is, it is an ugly symbol. And so I think for we as the people of God, we've got to do a deeper work in really understanding what love is. But some days I, I wonder if Christians actually care about love or do they care more about political power? Um, another idea that I would, uh, I would love your thoughts on is, um, what's the different, what would you say is the difference between like unity and then uniformity as yeah. well? And how do you go about pursuing? Yeah. Yeah. So for example, you know, uh, Caleb, you and I are different ages. Uh, I have a much better tan than you. No question about it. <laughs> I think you have a red beard, if I'm right. Yep. So you got a little bit of Irish in you. Yep. Yeah, I'm 2% Scottish. <laughs> I did a DNA test, right? So so, so unity, unity is different from uniformity. Uniformity is like the Borg from Star Trek. The Borg would just turn everybody into the same thing. Well, God is not in the uniformity because if he was, the world wouldn't have the exquisite, beautiful diversity. And we actually see that in humanity too. And so unity means we agree upon the essentials of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is what unifies us. God doesn't want us all to be the same. He wants to beautifully express himself through the diverse array of beauty that he has created. And so that's why being colorblind is not a good thing. God wants us to be color blessed because being color blessed means there's a story and an origin to your color and your culture. So when I think about Irish, I think about St. Patrick and how he was kidnapped from England, but went back to Ireland to the people he kidnapped to lead them to faith. When I think about Athanasius, the great early church father who, who cauterized what it actually meant for God to be a triune being and the incarnation, well, his nickname was the Black Dwarf because he was a Black African. What most pe pe people don't know is the early church was influenced by Northern Africa, Augustan African, Tertullian African, Athanasius 
African, when you think of all these incredible great scholars, right? And so there's so much diversity. When you think about the greatest movement of church growth in the history of Christianity is happening in China. Caleb, did, did you know that by 2050, one in three Christians will be a Nigerian woman? Wow. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so the faith is big and broad and beautiful. God doesn't want us to be Americans. Like that's secondary. God wants to be us to be Christians in America, but Christians don't have a market on what it means to be a Christian. Hmm. And we bring all of our beauty together like a salad bowl. We mix in the onions and the green peppers, the yellow peppers, the arugula, the spinach, the lettuce. You know, we mix all these things together and balsamic vinaigrette is the grace that binds us to get together and all of our different tastes make the taste better and more expressive. Hmm. Well, I got one final thing that I want to ask you, but before that, um, I know that we've covered a lot, but is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure there, or that is just top of mind that you're thinking about? Yeah, right now? yeah. You know, I want I want everybody to to understand this that this book that I've written is a labor of love. It's it's a doctorate, it's a master's, it's nearly twenty years of 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 ministry. Uh, I've got the wounds. Like this isn't just something I wrote in an office. This is something that I've lived, but also it's, it's a book that's going to expand your love of Jesus. Like you can't, the, all right, let me bottom line it. You cannot deeply love your neighbor and deeply love Jesus. The deeper you love Jesus, not in your words, but in your actions, the more you're going to be a healer and bridge builder of this divide. The last thing I want to ask you is, um, can you, te- I mean, the book is called How to Heal Our Racial Divide. Can you tease out what healing can look like and what's something that we can do to help do that? Yeah, um, healing can look like this. Uh, after uh, George Floyd and some of the other shootings of black men by white police officers. Um, I brought in the chief of police for the Charlotte Mecklenburg community. And we had a candid conversation. He's a, he's a, he's a black man. And so we had a, can, a candid conversation about great policing and poor policing. Uh, we had conversations about, yeah, there are policemen that need to be fired. There's a lot of policemen that are great. Another time, uh, we had a young man who marched in a Black Lives Matter movement, a white police captain and a black judge who's actually an NFL player. So that's one way, two ways. Another way is um, being a multi-ethnic church where you're bringing people together to actually live out this great social experiment called the family of God. Well, Derwin, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book, How to Heal Our Racial Divide, and keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all of those things? Yeah, so the best place to buy the book is wherever you buy books. You can buy it online. Uh, people people go to Amazon. They can go directly to Tyndale. Wherever you buy books, that's where you can buy How to Heal 
our racial divide. And if you want to catch up with me, go to derwinlgray.com. That's gray with an A, derwinlgray.com. And on social media, you can get me at at Derwin L. Gray. That's at Derwin L. Gray. I love to get to know you guys and connect with, with you. If you do decide to buy the book, which I hope you do and study it in small groups, take pictures and put it on social media and I'll give you a shout out. Awesome. Well, Derwin, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and thanks for doing the work. Appreciate it, brother. Keep up the good work. So coming out of that conversation with Derwin, there's uh, one, well, let me just say this, one of the things I absolutely love talking about, and it's uh, been apparent, you know, in this episode and the last episode uh, that I had him on is, uh, is just how much uh, he puts Jesus at the center of everything. And, uh, and as, even as it pertains to this conversation as well. And so I absolutely love that. And what I want to do for my takeaway um, is I want to expand a little bit on something that Derwin said. And in fact, I, I really just want to read a quote um, from the book. And, you know, something that he said was about loving our neighbors that um, when we when we love someone, their problems become our problems. And we take on their their problems. We take on their burdens. We carry their burdens with them. And in, in some cases for them as well. And so I just want to read this quote. King Jesus calls us as his people to love God with the totality of our being and to love our neighbors the way we love ourselves. If I do not love you as I love myself, I am not going to advocate on your behalf. If I do not love you as I love myself, I am not going to be concerned about your pain. If I do not love you as I love myself, I'm not going to seek justice when the noose of injustice is suffocating you. And that quote just reminds me of just the importance of of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, which I think is just so, I mean, and again, it's not new, but it's just so crucial to this conversation as well and just figuring out how we can do that. I think the second thing that just the conversation made me think about is, um, you know, he was talking about uh, in in the book of Acts, you know, found in the in the New Testament, to where all of the church leaders gathered together from from many different churches. Well, I guess it was mainly in in Jerusalem, but they but they came together to figure out how to best address and solve this problem or this tension that they were experiencing, and just thinking that I think that is part of the role of the church as well and the capital C church not just our own individual churches but coming together to figure out the major uh, the tensions the challenges the pain points that our communities are experiencing and how can we come together to work together on 
those things. So that's just a couple of things that I'm thinking about and some of the things that I'm learning from. I would love to hear from you and some of your takeaways from this conversation or even just the things that you're learning about as well. And the best way to reach out to me is Learners Corner Podcast at gmail.com. If you've been, if you have enjoyed this, you know, check out my blog, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating on whatever podcast uh you know app or player that you listen to and uh, subscribe to the newsletter where i'm sharing some of the the best stuff that i'm learning from because i know that uh, learning can sometimes be expensive and you don't want to waste your money on things and so that's one of the things that i'm trying to do is just provide hey these are some good resources that i'm learning from from uh from stuff that you can find to free to stuff that um you might have to pay a little bit for but it's all good stuff and stuff that i highly recommend and learn from so uh, I think that's all that I have for today. Thanks to Sam Massey for providing uh, the music for this podcast. Thanks to Derwin for being on the podcast again. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. That's all that I have for you today. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.